Hey, welcome to Creative Reset, the podcast that explores... Oh, wait, hold on. Welcome to Creative Reset, the podcast that looks at the creative journey to help us understand our obstacles and how to go over, under, around, or right through them and reset our creative selves. A quick note before we start this week, if you enjoy listening to the wonderfully creative people we have on the show, please subscribe, please tell your friends, please leave us a rating, leave us a little note, let us know how we're doing. Thanks. And this week I'm talking with Kathy Fiorillo, an actor, writer, producer. Do you want to add to your list? <laughs> Director. Director. So how are you, how's your day going? Going pretty good, I guess. I've been working on um, doing a lot of um, planning or press releases for the new film that I'm working on, which with you actually called Sanitize This. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. And you were just doing another, you were doing a video or practicing a speech before? Yes, right before we got on, I'm working on doing 20 videos and they help people with their public speaking skills and they're called Thinking Outside the Speech Box. And right. what I'm working on currently is overcoming the speech jitters, what they are and how you can overcome them and reduce your anxiety. All right. So, so during this particular interview, you can practice all of the things that you teach people. You can show people how to, how to go about this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Good. Good. Uh, yeah. All right. First of all, thank you for jumping in here at the last minute. So we haven't, uh, we haven't had a lot of time to uh, pre-interview or anything along those lines. So thanks for that. That was no very problem. nice of you. So your particular creative journey has had a, has been a winding road. Yeah. Uh, it has been. <laughs> definitely so, a winding road. What's that? Definitely a winding road, but the same road. Is it the same road? Okay, well, let's find out. So, uh, so let's start. We'll start with where you are now, and then we'll we'll go back and look at how you got there. You know, what obstacles uh, you encountered along the way, um, how you were able to overcome them. So, where where are you now with your um, with your creative journey? Well, my creative journey right now, and I think it's probably even easier if I start from the, the beginning, but I'll start with- Do you want to go back? Do you want, we can do that. We can go back. I think it starts way back in my childhood. I was kind of born with an outgoing personality and I had this need to perform. Okay. My family and friends and I make all my cousins and everybody get together and I would direct them in little plays or skits. And then we forced my parents and the other relatives in the room to sit and watch these shows. And I would charge them money and actually make money myself. And I was, you know, young and I did this at an early age and I always knew, and this is why I say it's the same road. I always knew that I wanted to pursue a career, whether it be in theater, film, TV, it just kind of evolved to different things. But I always knew performing was what I wanted to do in some capacity or another. And I went to college for theater. My parents um, had never gone to college. So they asked what well, I- hold on, hold on a second. Let's, let's, stay, let's stay with the, with the young you for, okay. for a moment and, uh, and talk about, because one of, the, one, of the, one of the things that we notice is that 
kids are all kids have a desire to create whether it's drawing uh singing dancing uh, you know all that sort of thing you know coming up with characters and all that uh, writing little stories and and we lose that as we as we grow older it's kind of drummed out of us and so i kind of want to i i want to focus on the fact that you were able to kind of keep that same energy that you had when you were when you were younger and so i want to stay so i want to stay with that for just a just a bit longer before we jump to college and all that sort of thing so what was your earliest experience with that you can remember uh, you know an anecdote or something along those lines about some early performance that you did well i just you know i i made up this show um it's terrible to say today because, you know, people would be upset by it, but it was called Fat Jimmy, Skinny Albert. I was Fat Jimmy and my sister was Skinny Albert. And by doing these these shows, I loved making people laugh. I just always wanted to make people laugh. I had this, I don't know what it was. It was just this need to do it. And I think it was because I felt I felt that when I was growing up, I had a strong foundation. My mom and dad loved me very much. I felt like I had a good, solid base that I could make a fool of myself. And I didn't really worry too much about what other people thought. Okay. So your parents were early, were early supporters of you in terms of, in, in terms of creating at home and, and, and all that sort of thing. How, about how old were you when you came up with this, with these skits that you did with your sister? Oh, five, six, I put them in passion plays and I'd always give myself the lead. I'd be blessed mother. My baby brother would be baby Jesus to make my, my sister be the sheep, you know, like in the passion play. My cousins still joke today that they were just like a goat or something in the, in the um, passion plays when I would do them. I mean, as long as I can remember, I did them probably five. I was probably my earliest experience of doing them. And I did them all the way up into high school. When you were when you were in school, were there were there plays that you that you did in school that you remember in uh, in grade school? No, actually, there was no drama department. Oh, okay, I will tell you this experience. So this is my very first stage fright experience. Okay. We were in um, second grade in elementary school, and we were there was a chorus. They didn't have a drama club or anything, and we were singing Christmas songs. Let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. I would sing that song, even though I was not a great singer, I would sing it from my heart out, really singing it. Well, nobody had told us, or we never practiced with the lights going down on stage. So it was an action, it was the performance for the other elementary school kids. And the lights came down on stage. And I remember the sinking feeling, I'm gonna pass out. I'm gonna pass out. I got I guess I got stage fright. Next thing I knew, I had to go to the nurse and my mom had to pick me up. And I was devastated that I had to leave the stage. And I was in second grade and I knew the lyrics to let it snow, let it snow. I had practiced it. I had done it so big at home and everything. And then with those lights, nobody told me the lights go out. And my mom said to me, oh honey, just go back. The lights will go out tomorrow night too and you'll be fine. Just do as you practiced. So I did and I was like really hooked ever since. Oh. Now you said there was no there was no real theater in grade school. I don't, I, I have doubt very much that there's actual you know theater programs in in grade schools. What about your um, middle or high school years? Was there anything like that? Uh, yes. So middle school we had a talent show, 
Um, so I auditioned for the talent show, but as I auditioned, I actually fell off the stage. So um, <laughs> it was actually an accident. They thought it was funny and I became, I didn't have any talent, so I became the host. Um, so that's what I did, but I was in a dance number, um, I Will Survive was the song and I actually fell off the stage and they thought it was part of it. They thought it was, and it wasn't part of it. I actually got, fell and got hurt. Um, so that was my middle school and then high school. I auditioned, um, my, I had a great drama club teacher and we're still friends today. She really taught me a lot and she helped me and I was in musicals and plays in high school. And then um, my senior year of high school, I had the lead in the play and got the chicken pox. Right? Wow, this, I mean, so, so, so far you've, you've been, you've been rushed to the nurse's office. You've fallen off the stage and you've gotten chicken pox. I didn't realize that until you just pointed that out. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm surprised you kept going. <laughs> All right. That's hilarious. So what happened? I couldn't perform. I was devastated. And the funny thing was, I'm a I'm one of three children, and my sister got it first, and she got the chicken pox really badly. And I thought, oh, oh I still didn't get them. I'm not going to get them, and I hope I get through my show. And then my brother got them. I still didn't get them, and then I got it the night before. I didn't get to my senior year show. Oh no! But were you? But you were performing throughout high school, except for that one show my last show in high school oh. what were some of the shows that you did in high school uh bye bye birdie i did um anything goes gypsy fiddler on the roof okay so so you uh you were singing and dancing in those i was singing and dancing but i was never really a great singer um and somehow i managed to get by in shows even afterwards that involved singing but i'm not a singer Okay. All right. So you went to, where did you go to college? Uh, well, so undergrad, I went to King's College in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania for theater and communications. And like I was going to say before, my parents never went to college and I had an uncle sit me down at the kitchen table and tell me that I shouldn't go into theater. And he was an engineer and I won't say for what company, but he was a big engineer and he was the first person in the family to go to college and he sat down and told me that I shouldn't major in theater. And at the end of his lecture, he, my mom said, so what are you gonna do? And I said, I'll major in theater. <laughs> so I had to double major in theater and communications so that I was allowed to go to college. So I did, yeah, and I loved it. And So your your parents were, were supporters, were they supporters of you getting a degree in theater or were they nervous about that? They were nervous about it, but that they thought I wouldn't make a living. Right. Yeah. Which I think a lot of parents still feel that way. But, you know, I was very passionate about it. And to me, there was another, what else would I possibly major in? I thought in communication. Engineering. <laughs> Did your uncle ever come around? Oh, well, it's funny. It's funny because, you know, I'm very close with him. He's actually my godfather and I, I am close with him. But, you know, I never regretted the decision that I made. It was like somebody once said to me, actually, it was my ex-husband. He said, if somebody can talk you out of something, then you really weren't meant to do it. And, you know, I and I he had known about that story. And it's true. I just there was in my heart of hearts. I knew that was the path I was going to take it. 
it was a very windy path, as we'll find out, but it basically stayed the same sort of road. Yeah, yeah. What about internally? Um, you had your uncle's voice kind of saying no. You had your parents' voice saying, oh my God, we're so you know nervous about this kind of thing. Uh, what about internally? Were you nervous about the, the possibility that you would go and spend your time in, in college and then be unable to, to do what you wanted to do? Not at all. I, I felt... I felt 500%. And I also had, my parents were very supportive. I mean, mm-hmm. although they were hesitant <laughs> about me majoring, they they knew that I loved it. They knew that I was passionate about it. They were my greatest supporters. And yeah, so I just felt like I had a strong foundation. And what about, what about uh, um, you know, any teachers either, and you can go back to high school if you want to, uh, or in in your undergrad years that were particularly helpful in terms of your your formation. Oh sure, we had a chair of our department, so it it was a liberal arts um, school that I went to, and you had to learn all areas of theater, lighting, um, set design, which I really struggled with set design majorly. Um, probably even struggled with lighting more one time, and this is before digital lighting, before computerized lighting and intelligent lights, we had to go up in the rafters and hang the lights and we had to, you know, climb the scaffolding and go up there and I used to wear my hair in a little ponytail, I called it the knot, and the one time my ponytail got stuck up in the rafter and I was like standing there like hanging, scared to death that I was going to like fall or something. Um, so somebody had to climb up and take my untie my ponytail. Somehow, it, like the hair got stuck in the, <laughs> the batten of there where the lights were hanging. Um, anyway, the point of that whole thing is my chair of the theater department was fantastic. His name was Brother Jim Miller. It was actually a Catholic college, and there were priests and brothers who ran it. Mm-hmm. He's actually uh, retired now at Notre Dame. He's in Notre. Uh, Dame, they have a facility for all the retired priests and brothers, but he was the best person because he taught me all around. And sometimes when I just wanted to do the acting, he's like, you got to be well-rounded. You got to be well-rounded. And little did I know that later I'd be spending 20 years of my life directing plays and musicals that I needed to know the lighting, the set design, the sound, all of the things that I really didn't feel like I wanted to learn all kind of came in handy later in life. Okay. All right. What kinds of shows did you do in, in college that you remember? Anything, anything stand out? Well, yeah. Well, one time we did a show. Did you actually make it through a, 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 a production in college? <laughs> yes, I did. I ought to be in pictures. And actually I played Libby. Um, it's a play by Neil Simon. And the woman, uh, the director of our theater at the time, his daughter, was about the same age as me. And she was supposed to be in it. And she actually got sick. Uh, She had to have something, I don't know, wisdom teeth or something happened that she couldn't do the show. So they called me and this was over the summer and said, we need you to come in and do the show. And you literally have a week to learn everything and do it. And that was like one of the greatest experiences I had. And I loved playing that part. another one was called, uh, Hotel Paradiso. I played a French maid and she's like kind of the know-it-all. She would like kind of eavesdrop on different people. I was in Lysistrata. I played Marini who, um, you know, they seduced the women, uh, they seduced the men into having 
you know, relations with them so that they can end the Peloponnesian War. You know, if you're familiar with that. Yep. Um, the other one that I was in was called Charlie's Aunt and I played Kitty. But evidently the show wasn't going very well because the one night, this is about a week before the show, our director said to us, there's more character in the life of that statue outside, you know, like the, um, the what do you call it, mascot statue outside than there are in any of you. So we, we were, we were <laughs> so I'll never forget that comment, but it pushed everybody to have more energy and be better. I mean, I thought we were doing fine, but evidently we weren't, so. Did you, were you expecting to go straight to work after, after your undergrad? I was. That's so funny that you say that. Um, I was expecting, because I just had that conversation with my daughter, that sometimes you think you have all this knowledge, but you really don't. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get a job right away. And I found it difficult. And I actually graduated a semester early with, mm -hmm. with two majors. And so for six months, I was looking for jobs and couldn't. How, yeah, let's, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. What was that like? You, you graduated, you've got this training. Uh, where did you go? What did you do? How did you, uh, you know, how were you trying to get work at that point? Well, I was, I had an audition in New York. Somebody connected me with the casting director and it was the casting director for, I think it was the guiding light. I don't remember. I, I think it was the guiding light. And I got in and I had this interview in New York with this woman who took the time to meet with me. It was like a connection of a connection of a connection, but I got in and had this thing and they had told me about, you know, what I needed to do and how I needed to go about like my pictures. I had my picture already done by the local photographer at um, our campus at the school that I had gone to. So my res, you know, it was done professionally and everything, and I didn't really have a whole lot of experience. I didn't have any experience except from the plays that I did in high school and college. Right. And they, you know, told me about what I needed to do. And um, there was a thing way back when called the Ross reports, which you would get with the agent's name and the casting director's names. And then you'd have to send out, you literally had to mail your resumes. You had to send follow-up letters. I remember being all impressed by friends of mine who had um, labels printed out on their um, computer. They would, my one friend, he's, he's actually a host on QVC right now, a guest host. I was always impressed by him sending out these mass labels to all the different um, agents and casting directors. And, you know, we had to mail them in envelopes. We had to mail them or you had to run around and drop them off at each place. So different than today where we just get on an email. So yep. it was totally different during that time period. So after struggling with that, I happened to be walking in it, you know, and I even thought, oh, maybe I can get a job at the campus I worked at. But Wait, that, what happened with the guiding light? Oh, oh, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. We just screen test. And I actually did not get it. So I went in and I actually, I got to read and I got to do a sample like screen test, but I didn't get it. And that was the end of that. But I wasn't too disappointed because I realized I didn't have the knowledge that I needed at that time. Mm -hmm. And when I ended up going back, I went, I would hang out at my college campus because I graduated six months early. And there was this sign that was like a poster that had for grad school. And that's how I ended up, um, you got to audition. When yeah, so so hold on before we get before we get to grad school, I wanna I wanna spend a little bit more time on this what uh, six months or so that you were 
that you were looking for work and and not getting any you know wh when did you when did you see the poster for for grad school when did you make that decision i was probably about 6 months later i was still eligible to audition for the plays on campus because I was going to, even though I graduated and finished everything, my actual graduation wasn't going to take place until May. Mm -hmm. So I was allowed to audition for shows. And I happened, there were two colleges, King's College and then Wilkes University. They would allow you to audition for both. And oh, okay. I auditioned for Dames at Sea and I got the lead part, which was great. And I actually danced with, um, uh, Bob Nisnik, his name was, and he was a Busby Berkeley dancer. <laughs> he was one of the original dancers and he taught me tap dance. So, um, and I picked it up really quickly. So I was good at tap dance and again, another singing role, but it definitely was not, you know, I would not consider it. Um, I would not consider myself a singer. So. Did you, what other auditions did you, did you, what other professional jobs did you audition for in that, in that interim period? that was it then i saw the auditions for grad school and within by the time within the six months i auditioned i got mm -hmm. i auditioned for two schools one offered me an assistantship the second year and the other one offered me an assistantship for both years so i took that one which was western illinois university okay and what was that what was that experience like what was your experience at, at western illinois Oh, now you're now you're far away from New York. Now you're you're getting further away from yeah. where you thought you'd be. Yeah, I had never gone to the Midwest before. And I remember my parents driving me out. It was like a 24 hour car trip. And we were in the car and I got dropped off. And I and a friend of mine who's now the um the artistic director director at um Monmouth in Maine, um Don, <laughs> our friend uh, uh, my friend Don, she I wrote to her for grad school about us rooming together and I sent her like curtain swatches and Don's like a throwback hippie <laughs> 1960s kind of person and I was like sending her swatches of material of like how we could decorate the the dorm room together she didn't want any part of that so she did so the first semester we did not live together so I was by myself but after that Don and I really became very good friends and we connected and we lived together after that but the first semester I was, you know, I came out to population 24, you would see, or population 100 on your way out, and there'd be cows and cornfields, and Western was right in the middle of all that, and it was different for me to see, so it was. Okay. What, did, what were some of the things that you learned uh, in, in grad school, the things that you were missing, the things that, that kept you from, from getting work straight out of undergrad? Do you, do you know what some of those were? Sure, I didn't have the background. I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really have the, the training. So the acting classes that we had were acting one, two, and three in undergrad. But I didn't feel like they delved into the acting the same way that we did. And we had, I had a wonderful acting teacher at Western, um, Sonny Bell. And he, um, Dr. Sonny Bell, sorry. And he really, you know, he really helped us understand and in, in create from inside out. And also I had a great uh, Paul Denhart, who is our movement teacher. He really spent a lot of time with movement and our essence. We did a lot of essence work. And at the time I was like, okay, what's this essence work? But then it all kind of fit together 
Okay. All right. What's something, what's something that you learned that you can maybe share? Like, let's say there's an, there's, you know, an actor who's maybe an undergrad or, or in high school wants to go into, into acting or something like that. When it comes to like developing a character, what is one thing or a couple things that you picked up in grad school that would be, that would still be helpful? Well, one of the most important things I learned was what is the previous moment? What just happened the moment before you say something or you come into the scene? What happened? And sometimes you don't have to say anything at all. Sometimes it's the reaction. Sometimes you're taking in the environment. Um, we did a lot of work in Paul's class, uh, Paul Denhart's class about movement and what happens when you're in this environment, when you first enter a cave or you first enter the beach, you know, what, what sounds and smells and to use all five senses rather than just sight. So I think that's really helpful. And then I found at auditions, it was really helpful to know the previous moment. And if you don't know the previous moment, if it's not written there and you can't figure it out, make it up and make it strong. Okay. So let's, uh, so let's move past grad school. Where did you, where did you go? After grad school? So during grad school, we had auditions. We had the SCTC auditions and the Midwest theater auditions. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to both and I got offered several job offers from different places. And I actually picked, ironically, I was from Pennsylvania and I picked Hershey Park. They paid the most. It was close home and they did, we did have housing. They uh, gave us housing, but we, I think, I don't remember exactly. I think we paid a small portion. They were like Hershey Park's housing. And then I think we paid some money if I recall. And I chose that. I'll tell you, that was the first time ever that I thought maybe I did a little bit more than I could possibly do. It took me a while. And what I, why I say that is I was in a song and dance show and it was six shows a day, six days a week. You got one day off a week and did six shows and it was high energy dancing. And I don't know if you've ever seen any of the shows. A lot of the people go on to Broadway. In fact, my roommate is very famous. She was my roommate at Hershey Park. Her name is Emily Skinner. She did Sideshow um, with Alice Ripley and she's a fantastic singer. She was in a, the rock show. I was in the, her, uh, the hoedown show which was like a country Western, but see, you had to clog in that show. Well, I never clogged before in my life, but I knew how to tap dance. So clogging is sort of like tap dancing on heels. <laughs> and the producer who uh, passed away not long after I had performed there, um, Alan Albert, his name was, he would get actors from New York. And he said to me, uh, Kathy, come here. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, what? He goes, you know, I put you in here because I want you to ad lib in these empty scenes where there, where there's nothing and you were pretty good at coming up with things. So it was, that was kind of nice to hear, but I certainly was not the best singer. In fact, I had one song. They only gave me one song to sing. And I sang it with my friend, Christopher, who worked at QVC. It was called Hey, Good Looking. <laughs> <laughs> so I speak singing it, but yeah. It was fun. It was super fun. Was, was that just not, did that last just the summer? How long did that job last? Summer contract. So it was from May until Labor Day. However, okay. I was moving then to Chicago. I had planned on moving to Chicago in September. I left at the end of August. Now, why did you choose Chicago over New York? 
just because when we were in grad school in Macomb, Illinois, which was, I believe, about three hours southwest of it, we would visit Chicago a lot. And Chicago was so much fun. And, and a lot of my friends at the time who were in grad school all decided to go to Chicago. All right. So you land in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I landed in Chicago. And first thing is I had to get a job. And I didn't get just a job. I had three jobs that worked simultaneously. Plus, I worked part-time at Second City so I could get my classes. Paid. Okay. What were, what, what were you doing? These are day jobs? What were you doing? Well, I worked at the Marriott Marquis on Michigan Ave, and I was a waitress in the morning from 6 okay. to 2, 6 a.m. to 2. And then I worked at the Chicago Improv about 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. And then I worked at Dicka's, Mike Dicka's sports bar. My father was thrilled, but that was the middle of the night. I think I showed up there at 11 o'clock. I, I think I went from the Chicago Improv to Dicka's and then worked there till about four in the morning. Um, when did you sleep? Barely. Um, I actually, at that point, I was living with my friend Dawn in her apartment and I was, she gave me a couch. I slept on a couch for a while in the front. Yeah. What was your experience like at Second City? I loved it. Um, I loved everything about it. We, when I got there, I took, well, I didn't have the money for the classes. So there was, if you worked there part-time, like on weekends and help work some of the shows, you got to have your classes paid for. I don't know how they figured that out or if it was based on eligibility or finances or whatever, but they allowed me to do that. And my first class was with Don DiPaolo and he, he taught us so much. And, and one thing that I learned there is that you have to keep current in the news. Like that's one thing that they trained us to do. And they taught us about different scene work, a lot of scene work, any kind of and prop work in, in being able to be, be able to do that and be able to write sketches. So, you know, I went through, there were, they had five levels at the time. I went through four levels. And then at the end of each level, you would have a level show. Mm -hmm. And then at that time I had got a job on a cruise ship and performing. So I took the job on the cruise ship. Well, hold on a second. You said, you said you were writing, you were writing. Was this the first time that you were writing? Well, we would just do little sketches with our groups inside. Like nothing was actually written out. It's not like it is probably today or was, but we would do sketches. So we would read um, what they would have us do is take, two different newspaper articles, like headlines, and combine it and make a sketch out of it. Okay, okay. And it was really fun. So, and maybe two of us, two people at a time would work on that, and then we'd present it. And then we would do it again. And I thought that was really cool, so. Nice. Did you get any other work while you're in Chicago? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know. I have to think. I also took a voiceover class in Chicago. And I was trying to, I got new headshots and I was trying to get an agent. And I went on a ton of theater auditions, a lot of theater auditions, didn't really get anything. But then I got, and I also took a job and I was sick of doing all those jobs at once. So I took a temporary job, which a lot of the temp jobs, I started to find out quickly that actors would do temp jobs. So they knew they had an audition, they could temp one day at one place, or they could work two weeks at a place or however long they want, but they were able to go to these auditions. 
Um, so I actually became a permanent temp at um, this one place where I was the receptionist for 50 some other small businesses. <laughs> I was just the receptionist for everybody. So I was like the main desk person. So I got to network with everybody who came in. Somebody told me about the auditions for the cruise ship. And I won't say which cruise ship because there's a whole story associated with that. Okay. But anyway, uh, so yeah. So that's what I did. So, so, so you left Chicago for a, for a cruise ship job. No. Oh, wait, wait, back it up, back it up. I forgot the biggest job I got while I was in Chicago was Disney World. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So I was, I didn't get anything in Chicago per se, but I saw auditions for Disney World. I missed the Chicago auditions by one day. Mm -hmm. The next day they were in Dallas, Texas. And I, of course, didn't have a lot of money at the time. And I actually, and I don't advise anybody to do this, but I got myself a plane ticket and put it on my credit card. <laughs> I went to Dallas, Texas, because now I felt armed with my improv training, <laughs> even though <laughs> tons of experience. So I went to Dallas and there were a, like about a thousand people there. And it came down to... I came in, you know, you did, you did a monologue and then you had to do improv. And so I did a couple improv scenes and the last improv scene, I knew went really well because I could hear them. You know, I, you, you never know. You, sometimes you think you did well and you did horribly. Sometimes you think you did horribly and you did well. You just never know. But I had a feeling, a good, a good feeling about it. So then they had callbacks. And when I was called back, they actually measured you. And you stood in front of a camera and they, they took measurements of you, you know, costume measurements, and they took pictures of you and whatever. That was the callback. So anyway, back then they didn't have, we didn't have phones. <laughs> so you would, I met this other girl, only two of us out of the thousand were called back. Oh, wow. And it was me and another woman. And so at back then you had voicemail. What did we have? Like the, you know, where you leave a voicemail on the phone recorder, whatever that was called. I can't remember. Yeah. Like a codaphone. It was like a tape recorder that was connected yeah. to your, your, your phone and you would push the button and we'd go and it would play the message. Yeah. Yeah. So we had that. And I said to the other girl, well, let me know if you hear anything. And she said, let me know if you hear anything. And we gave each other our landline phone numbers. Cause that's all we had were landlines and you could only, so I come home the one day, play my messages, and lo and behold, I got hired. And I had to be down, I had to be in Orlando, Florida. I think it was like in a week or something. And no, it was actually, I was a month because they were actually, they were still auditioning because they audition all over. It was some, somewhere within that time frame. And I called the other person and she did not get hired. Oh, no. Yeah, so I felt really badly. And they took, I think there were 12 of us who got hired, probably from 12 different locations. And they put us up in a hotel and it was really, really cool. And we did um, a show. We actually then wrote our own show, the 12 of us. It was an improvised show about Dick Tracy. It was called Calling Dick Tracy and it was in improvisation. Okay. So I, and, you know, probably having that second city training in, even though I didn't get to the final level where they do the final show, 
I think that helped. I mean, all that training helped me definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so how long did that contract run for? So there you go. That was a year contract. I no sooner got back to Chicago and then I got the cruise ship job. So like I said, I didn't really get anything in Chicago, but I was getting work outside of Chicago from being in Chicago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you get the cruise ship job and how long, and uh, how long did that go? Well, here's the interesting story. So one thing and a challenge that I've had my entire life is I'm a type one diabetic. And when I got to the cruise ship, so, you know, when I danced at Hershey, it was actually a challenge for me to dance that much because I had to eat all the time. And I remember them secretly coming over to me saying, oh, if you need any food or drink, it's, we have extra for you right here. (laughs) I think they were, you know, worried, but, you know, they took a chance on me and I was, you know, fine. And this was way back when. And at the time I took shots, injections, and we had trained. I was going to be in an improv show and I won't say the cruise line, but I was going to be in an improv show and a, um, a host, like a, or a, a port lecturer where you talk about the island that you're going to or whatever. And then you do the improv during the day. Well, we trained for two weeks, learning all the stuff and came friends with all these new people. And I was in Miami. They put you up in a hotel for two weeks. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to bank the money because you get paid every, every week and you have no room or board and your food is free and you're staying for free. Yeah. The night before the cruise ship, we have to go through a standard physical. And next thing I know, they say, because they, I got called in. They said, you're diabetic? And I'm like, yeah, but I took insulin by injection for whatever reason. If I took insulin by a pill, I would have been able to work on that ship. Yep, it was before the American with Disabilities Act. So now the day, the next day that the ship is supposed to go, which is thank, day after Thanksgiving, it's, I said, this is the day before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. We got invited to the director's house to um, to have Thanksgiving dinner with him. And then we're all going off to sea. I was told I can't work on the ship now. I was devastated. I called my, you know, those moments where I call them like, I don't know what, what I call them. <laughs> but I went in the bathroom and I shut the door stall and I just like start crying. And I felt horrible. I thought, what the heck? What am I going to do now? Nobody has ever, I've done all these things. I've done all these dancing in these shows. Nothing, this has never affected me. Nobody has ever told me this before. And so I called my best friend crying. So her best friend, I mean, so my best friend's husband, brother, if you can get that, is a lawyer. And she's like, why don't you talk to him? So he said, the American Disabilities Act is just getting ready to go through. They're working on this is before the American with Disabilities Act. So I spoke to him. I ended up marrying him. <laughs> <laughs> really started to then I'm like, what am I going to do? And he's in the middle of nowhere land, right? He lived in a, a small town called Pottsville, Pennsylvania. And I thought it's like, it's a coal mining town and, and it's a great town. I really loved it and had a, a lot of artistic experiences in that town. 
but you know, I thought, what am I going to do? So I got a job teaching part-time. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You didn't marry him over the phone. Like how, how did you get from you're, you're in Miami you made, you made, did you make the phone call from Miami or were you already, were you already gone by then? So don't forget when I left Chicago to take the Miami job, I knew I'd be gone for a minimum of six months. Cause if you renew your contract, I could have been gone for a year or whatever. So I gave up my apartment in Chicago. Actually, I was living with my friends, Richard and Marion. And, uh, <laughs> and then somebody else took the apartment right after me. So I had nowhere to go back to. And you know, I, I called my parents and I, you know, so I came home for a short time. So we, it was going to be a very short time until I figured out what was going on. In fact, it was about a week that I went home and I decided, even though I was um, talking to um, my husband to be at the time, and he was trying to figure things out with American disabilities and call the ship. And then finally they offered me a job on another cruise line. But at that time, I had already applied for teaching and got a job at Wilkes University. Oh, okay. Part time, and then we started dating. So that's what happened. But in a very short time, even during that whole time, I decided to move to Boston real quickly and get involved with improv group that I and picked up a temp job and got involved with an improv group, and that only lasted about a month. And then I was seeing, you know, my my husband to be at the time that I didn't know here and there, I was coming back and forth and we ended up getting together. Okay. Segue right. into um, academia. <laughs> okay. So you, so you end up in Pottsville. Pottsville. Okay. So you end up in Pottsville, Pennsylvania and you're, you're married, you're newly married and, and, and what happens to your career at this point? Well, I taught, two years at Wilkes University and then I got pregnant with my son and um, I took off because now at this time um, you know I wanted to be with my son and then after my son was um, born and he's about two years old I or yeah he was about a year old and then I felt like oh I can go back working actually at King's College I was visiting my chairman of the department and he said would you like to teach here part-time I said yeah that'd be great so I did that for two years and then I got pregnant with my daughter. And then I thought, okay, well, this is it. I'm not going to teach anymore. I'm just going to raise my kids and then figure it out when they're older. And there, a job had come up literally um, about an hour from me at Penn State. It, it was the Penn State Harrisburg campus. And, but they were, at the time, they were mer or getting ready to merge with Schuylkill, but they called me and I came in for the interview and I had the flu, but I still went in for the interview because I thought, oh, this is, this is like, I'm going to, I really would like to get this job. This would be, I could direct plays. I could do all this stuff. And they offered me the job in Harrisburg. And I said, well, thank you. But you know, I have two small kids. If something comes up at school, let me know that next day. <laughs> they called me and said, you know what, we're going to create a position. And that's what happened. And that's how I got in at Schuylkill. And I asked to direct the plays and I've been doing it ever since 20 years. 20 years. So 20 years, you've been, you have been teaching theater and you're teaching speech classes and directing the plays uh, at Schuylkill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, 
during that time, were you doing any professional work at all, or you just kind of put that aside for that time, for that time period? So I would say of those 20 years, because I was married and I got divorced about 10 or 11 years ago. And so the time while I was married, I started doing other work with, um, in the community. So I would, there was, um, a person who is a writer called John O'Hara, who you might've heard of, who wrote Butterfield 8, Appointment in Samara. And I got special permission to produce his plays on a small level. It couldn't be, it was like for the art center, the local art center in the area. And so I would produce those plays and I would enjoy- Wait, do you, he, he wrote plays or did he write novels? He only wrote, um, Pal Joey was the only musical that he wrote. Um, but okay. he wrote novels. So I would adapt them into plays. Okay. So okay. I adapted them. I actually adapted, oh man, about 15 pieces of his work into plays. How would you say that affected you in terms of uh, in terms of your ability to write scripts? Because I haven't heard you mention anything about writing previously. You mean writing now today or writing back? Well, yeah. So like you 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 were adapting you were adapting novels. So you had material that you were working with, but you were actually, you were actually creating plays out of them. What was that experience? What is that experience like? Well, the novels were very long. <laughs> so, and I will say my ex-husband and I got along great because he really helped me a lot with breaking them down. So, um, and I actually, I gave him parts in it too. <laughs> so he had parts um, in the play and I'd always make him the lead because I would have to direct it. And I couldn't, you know, I had, a, I only got to be in one because somebody um, got sick or something at the last minute and I had to play that part. But, you know, I only helped out and he, um, he helped me break it down. And, you know, he's, was very intelligent guy. We would sit down and go over the different scenes and how could, what was really needed in the scene? What was excess? What was, where do we want this really to go? Like, what's the main line of the story with all, without all the other story? How can we get it down to the nuts and bolts? And that's what we worked on doing. And then as we would do read-throughs with the cast and crew, um, we would change it, or the cast, we would adapt it and change it again and again and again until we finally got it to where we wanted it to be. Yeah, and then I've actually done some of, the, some of those shows I directed twice. And, you know, I learned from the first time what works, what didn't work. I tried them in different settings. One was theater in the round. It supposedly took place at the Schuylkill Country Club. So I actually had the show presented at the Schuylkill Country Club with, um, we used cocktail tables and had people feel like they were part of the era. All right. And we'll maybe come back to that in a minute because that sounds, that sounds actually a little bit more important than you're, than you're, than you're leading on, you know, with your training you know, going through and, and taking somebody else's work and adapting that for the stage, I think is, uh, I think is really, uh, really interesting. So that was a good portion of your life. And, and what happens after that? Oh, yeah, I should just also mention that John O'Hara was born and raised in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. And he wrote <laughs> about people from Pottsville, Pennsylvania. People did not like him because they thought he was writing about them. He said, I write about what I know. Some of it may have been truth. Some of it may have been fiction. He was writing stories, you know, so he probably got bits and pieces. They weren't all, you know, people argue about that, um, whether it was accurate. Anyway, moving on. So when I got divorced, I felt that um, it was time for me 
it took me a while to get through the divorce. So I would say after the first two years of getting through it, and it, it was difficult for me, I started to do things for me. So I went, um, I took a class in Philadelphia with a casting director, uh, Kathy Wickline, who was super helpful to me, told me you need new headshots. Obviously my headshots were super old. I really didn't even have anything. Told me what to do with my hair. Told me, you know, what kind of look to go for, what they were looking for in Philadelphia. Learned um, teleprompter. So I'm teleprompter proficient. Took me through all these different things and then told me how to get an agent. And so I went and got an agent in Philadelphia. It was at the time called MMA, uh, Model Management Agency. So I was a model, but commercialized model. So I ended up doing commercials, industrials. I'm trying to think what else you would call this. Oh, and then I worked for QVC. So they got me a lot of work. MMA kept me working. I also did things like I was, my forehead was on a box cover, you know, like certain things like that. Your forehead was on a box cover? On a box cover, yep. So um, just things like that, you know, that they had, um, you, know, you had to use a certain product or whatever. Anyway, I, I, I got to do a lot with MMA and then they um, slowly went out of business. And at that time, I was kind of drifting from Philadelphia to New York. I wanted to pursue the New York market. And, but I knew that I didn't know, I didn't really have the knowledge. So I started taking classes in New York um, at a place. The first place was TVI, which actually shut down. But I learned a lot from different casting directors there. I also went to Actors Connection. I learned a lot of different, different things from different casting directors. I mean, so many of them have been so helpful to me. And one casting director told me, you know, you got it. You can't wait till you get something. You always have to be working. You always have to be doing something to be seen. The best thing you can do is write your own project. Do your own thing. Boy, I got inspired right away. It was like, well, as soon as I heard that, it inspired me. So to the other guys that I was taking class with, I said, hey, do you want to be in this project. I'm going to work on a web series called Aged Fruit. And we had no background in editing or putting things together. And we got the bare bones. We did a crowdfunding thing to get our money together to do it. And, you know, we did it. We put it together. And my friend Anthony and I, we kind of co-wrote it. Like he would take two episodes. I would take two episodes. I really actually had five episodes. So anyway, we did those episodes and then we put them out on YouTube and funny and funny or die. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was it. The concept was really good. And we did it with a SAG new media contract. So um, the one guy's um, sister is was a professional actress on Broadway and in California. And she did the voiceover and she did a really nice job with that voiceover. I really liked it. It was about aging actors like you know like now in the in the 2000 you know 15s around that time when I wrote it compared to the 80s like when we were out there you know hand mailing all our stuff without computers without phones and you know they uh, one episode is called um, the twits and it was like me not understanding twitter which you know I really don't even understand that well today <laughs> So it was learning all social media stuff and different phrases and terminology. And 
And so, and then did you deal at all? Did you deal at all with the way women in particular are treated as they age? Hmm. No, it was just basically all of us, um, you know, either we did something too big, too small, didn't take a risk, took a risk and then didn't do it. Uh, Yeah. So no, we didn't. Okay. But I mean, is that a, is that a thing? Is that a thing that you've experienced? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I learned, I learned that, you know what, I have to embrace it. I don't, you know, I find when I go to auditions, there's sometimes I think to myself, oh, they're sending me out on this, but I'm older than that. (laughs) So you just don't want to, you know, but if they think of you as a certain age, that's great. It's what they think of you as. So you never put your age, you never tell your age. It's actually illegal to tell your age. If somebody asks you your age, it's illegal. So it's let them think of your age range and where they see you. And is it okay to audition for something older and something younger? Yeah, sure. Go for it. So aged fruit, you, 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 uh, wrote and were you, did you direct that as well? Yes. Well, kind of, because it was, we worked together, uh, the three of us. And then we brought in a fourth actor who was, um, her name is Chantal Maurice and she is been on a lot of TV shows and she's doing very well. She moved from no, from New York to Atlanta. She worked with a lot of the casting directors one-on-one because she worked at the studio at the time. And so we had her play the casting directors. <laughs> she knew casting directors so well and she did such a great job. Okay. What made it either easier or more difficult to work in a collaborative way on, on Aged Fruit? You know, we all worked really super well together. We just got along really well. We're still friends. We still meet on Zoom now during COVID once in a while. I just talked to my friend Ed the other day on the phone. He, you know, we just were really good together. We really collaborated and we got together. You know, sometimes we would have disagreements about, Ed was always like, whatever you guys say, whatever you guys say. He was, he was a retired superintendent who really kind of got back into doing acting and everything. And he does, you probably have seen him on a zillion TV shows because he's been on a bunch. He does background work and he loves it. He loves doing background work. So he was just along for the ride. He just enjoyed our company. And then Anthony and I, sometimes we would talk about the writing of it or whatever, but, you know, we always really got along and respected each other. So it was, yeah, it was a really good experience. In fact, we totally missed it. And they always say, let's do another one. Do you have plans to do more? Of Aged Fruit? Oh, they would love it. Um, <laughs> I didn't really, you know, I haven't really thought about it because then I went into a new direction. Um, there was a contest in New York for a screenplay and they would produce it. And um, and this is from Reproductions where the place where you get your resume photos you know, you can get like a hundred of them or whatever reproduced. Mm-hmm. And I saw it because I was on their mailing list and I thought, oh, I, I never did anything like that. I would love to write something. So I, and I thought it'd be cool if I can get it produced in New York, how cool would that be? And I'll be in it. So I wrote, <laughs> so I wrote myself apart and I wrote this recipe for disaster and they had like this contest and people had to vote on it and I did not win. Um, I got a lot of of votes, but I didn't win and that's okay. I, I felt pretty good that I did it. And I thought, well, you know, now I wrote it. Why don't I produce it myself? 
my daughter was going to film school. She um, at the time had a boyfriend who was in film school. I'm like, oh, do you guys think you could do this? And can you rent the equipment? And can we do it on this weekend? And let me see if I could get this location and that location. And it all worked out and we were able to do it. And I it took place basically in a house and a restaurant. So we used my house. And then I went to this restaurant and I said, oh, could you please let us film here? And they allowed us to. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just had to bring some people in for some dinner and drinks or whatever. <laughs> and we were fine afterwards. So it worked out. It was a very low budget film. It cost $2,000 to make. And then I was so proud that I did it and finally had it put together and edited it together. And at that same time, we had somebody at our work just get hired for film. And I said, oh, hey, can I show you what I did? And he said, did you submit this to festivals? And I said, no, I didn't even know really, you know, I didn't, I wasn't even familiar with it. And he's like, you really should submit it. This is really good quality. So I submitted it thinking nothing. And I ended up getting a couple awards from it and getting in a bunch of festivals. And I didn't apply for that many festivals, but pretty much, I forget, I think I got in eight festivals and won some awards and my daughter won an award. Oh, very nice, very nice. Did that in 2020? Recipe? Yeah. Recipe for Disaster was actually done in 2018. It was written back then, but I was waiting to get it edited together. So in June of 2020, I decided to, to have it finished. And Stefan who, Fulton, who's the editor of Sanitize This, edited it, Recipe for Disaster for me. And I loved it. I thought he did a great job. So when I submitted it and it got in its first festival, which was like literally a, a week later, July 1st or something, I found out it was in. I got motivated to write a new film. And I thought, oh, I'll do another dating one. So let's 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 talk about the first steps. Let's we'll do that, and then I, I want to get into I want to get into the uh, the idea of making a film during COVID. But what's the first thing that you do when you when you say, okay, you know what, I want to make a film? Okay, so the first thing that happened was come up with an idea. I I had the ideas. I got so excited when I found out I was in that other festival that I thought I'm going to just. I'm going to get, an, I'm going to do another film. And then boom, the idea came to me. So as soon as the idea is a solid idea and I feel like that's the way I want to go, then that's the way I'm going to go. Okay. And how do you go about writing it then? Um, well, it really only took about two weekends to write that one. Um, and with a lot of rewrites and, and changes, but the basis, the outline of it was, um, I do a sketch. I do like an outline. Um, so I see the beginning, middle, and end in my mind, and then I fill in the rest of it. And then I fill in the, um, you know, the things that should happen within each scene, the beats that should happen within, and then I go back and fill in each of those areas. And where'd you get the idea for Sanitize This? Well, it was just another dating. I'd, oh, okay. You know, why is it based on that? Well, <laughs> So I did go on a date during um, COVID at that time and somebody had fixed me up. And so um, it's a, similar. And the idea was that like, how do you date? Um, and especially I was being high risk. I'm the high risk category. So, um, so my character is actually very neurotic about wearing a mask and being careful and washing and sanitizing and all that. 
And there's, you know, as we know, there's two sides of the coin in this um, world right now. Some people are more laid back and um, carefree about wearing the mask and don't feel like they have to, or it's not that necessary, or they're not as focused. Um, my character was hyper-focused on, on being vigilant. Yeah. And, and, and let's look, you know, this is a COVID comedy. And I don't want to play down the seriousness of the pandemic or anything like that. I mean, you yourself, like you mentioned several times, you were in mortal danger until you were vaccinated. Right. Um, uh, so this was, you know, both very serious for you, but uh, also it was a way of of release for you because we'd been we'd already been you know locked down for for a while before you did this you said you started writing in july august yes mm -hmm. so uh, yeah so it was therapeutic because i was stuck in the house i didn't go anywhere and when i tell you i didn't go anywhere for a year until i was vaccinated i didn't go anywhere i mean i stayed in my house i didn't i didn't go to the grocery store i used instacart uh, my daughter lived with me so she would go to the store on occasion, um, but she pretty much stayed homebound too. I was petrified of her. I was petrified of getting it um, because it seemed like it was a death sentence for me. I also had that A negative blood where they were talking about um, people with A negative blood. I don't know, everything I read about it seemed like I had. So I thought I better just not go anywhere and play it safe. Yeah, but the diabetes was probably the, the thing that was on your mind yeah. all the time, yeah. So, uh, so you you wanted that you 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 needed this you needed this as a, uh, as a way of kind of escaping all of that stuff. Um, what's that? It was an outlet. It was something that I could put all my energy into and feel like I was accomplishing something at the same time during this time period. All right. So, what were some of the what were some of the things that went into to making a film during COVID? Well, <laughs> for one thing, um, especially with me. I had to make sure that we had a, a, you know, something in writing where everybody was going to be COVID safe when we shoot this. And I didn't want anything to happen to anybody. So we, you know, the thought was we'll have a very, very tiny cast, which I wrote for a very tiny cast. There's really four main character, two main characters, two supporting characters, and then two extras. So six characters total. And the crew was made up of five people, which included our editor, our director, my daughter, who was on sound, our editor's girlfriend who did, she was our location manager, and then another um, college who's actually in grad school now, another girl um, who's friends with my daughter, who, uh, who helped on our second uh, weekend, um, the tennis court scene. So it was a very, very small crew. Um, I had a COVID policy written up so that everybody wore their mask. Um, everybody stayed six feet away from each other. Uh, my scenes, the scenes that I were in that were inside, if I, there was only one scene where I was inside with another person in the same scene and we both wore our masks in that scene. That's the opening scene. All the other scenes I rewrote to be outdoors that weren't originally written to be outdoors. I was kind of rewriting them as I was realizing that I was going to have to be inside. And then the two Zoom scenes, one person was upstairs and one person was downstairs. Do you have any more uh, films planned? Are you, are you still excited? How did, how did Sanitize This do? It's doing really well. It's in 10 or 11 festivals at this point. Um, I'm losing track. 
And we've actually won a bunch of awards. Um, Stefan and DJ have won awards for um, their editing and directing the overall uh, film itself. Uh, Henry has won for best actor and, and I got um, lead actress. So we've done some you know, pretty good work so far. It's still early in the year. We still have three quarters of the year left. And I've already submitted it to the festivals for the end of the year. So I feel good about, who, you know, where I've submitted. And sometimes we get in, sometimes we don't get in, but that's just the way it is. And I, I'm looking forward to starting the next one, um, which I already basically have written, but I'm retweaking it. Do you see a, a growth arc from uh, Age Fruit through uh, Recipe for Disaster and to Sanitize This? Do you see yourself improving how are you improving what are you learning what you know what sorts of what's going on with uh, with your trajectory there well I've learned a lot since age fruit and each time because I've been the producer on each one I've learned you know I have a passion to to doing the project so I have to find the money to do it so I'm learning slowly but surely and learn from my own mistakes of how to get that money and how to find the money um, how to best use the money. That has been a huge learning experience for me. I wish that I didn't have to be the producer, that somebody else had the money and could do all these things. But unfortunately, it's just the way it is. And I also know that the thing that I do is I trust myself. I trust myself to be able to finish a project in a certain amount of time. I trust myself to get the project completed. I know that in my heart of hearts, I couldn't leave a project uncompleted. That's why Recipe for Disaster, it started in 2018. It didn't, uh, June of 2018 started the contest and June of uh, 2020 is when it got completed. For me, that was a long time period and it was bothering me for an entire year until I got that completed. So as an actor in film, I've been learning some more things uh, that, are more natural, you know, the natural pauses when with lighting and sides and all of that, you know, the way you face and the what and we don't have a choice because the director put you a certain way, but I'm starting to learn how to um, embrace those choices that somebody else makes <laughs> that I have to deal with or that I have to use. And, and I don't mean deal with, but, you know, as actors, somebody said, my daughter said this to me, you know, they learn in film school that um, never show the actors their work because they'll be critical of it. And, and you know, she's right. They are right. That's a, that's a good statement because we do look at it and we see ourselves and we think, oh, oh, I look terrible in that. I, I look in, you know, honestly, I still feel like, oh, I look terrible in that scene. But I'm actually supposed to look terrible in the scene. So what the heck? I look terrible. So you just have to let it go, you know? And, and the older I get now, I'm just embracing, um, embracing that. Oh, and, and one thing that I actually did learn a lot about, a lot about through writing and how to write was through UCB, which is Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City, the improv group, mm -hmm. Amy Poehler and Matt Besser. And I know there was some falling out there um, for a while, but I managed to go through the levels um, before it kind of broke up a little. And what I learned in that, and again, you know, I'm not a 20 something person and I'm in these classes mostly with 20 something people. I learned that you just, 
you know, you, you just have to embrace who you are and where you are at the time. And then use for the learn, you know, we, we were taught the game, which is too hard to explain on here. But if you play the game and you put that game into your scenes, that also, I think, helps. And I think that's something now that I'm thinking of for the next one. Now, how can I play this game in a different way with either the same characters or different characters? Because I wrote it with different characters. Although mm -hmm. right now I may go back to the same characters and play a twist on a different game, if that makes sense. Okay. But I'm, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I think the best part about the whole thing is like you enjoy the process. It, just to be there, just to do it, just to watch it come to life. That's so much fun. And that's, you know, it's so nice to see the end product. And yeah, there's definitely things I would have done differently. There's definitely things I could change. There's definitely things that I still don't like that I would change. But just to see that end product is pretty special and pretty cool. Yeah, I usually like to end with with advice for, for people who are who are listening you know, and you could probably give advice in terms of acting and directing and all that. But I think you just did. I think that I think, you know, the idea of, you know, doing the thing for the sake of doing the thing is really the most important part, right? So making the movie and getting it, getting that final project out, no matter what the budget is. Well, and the fact that is, I didn't even have the money when we started doing it. The money started coming drips and drabs. So we didn't even have it. It's just knowing that you can do it and going for it. And if you feel it in your heart and nobody can talk you out of it, just keep doing it. I like that. I think we should end there. All right. I think so that's it. We've done it. Henry. <laughs> it was fun. It was. It was good. I think this is good. Yeah. And that'll do it. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next week to hear another creative journey right here on Creative Reset.